Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about YouTube once again, or more specifically, how YouTube has decided to fight against Apple and its App Store let's call it a fee, although you'll see in these articles that we're about to read, a number of these companies are calling it a tax. But for those of you who aren't familiar, basically the way applications work on iOS and the Apple Store is that if someone buys them directly, and that isn't the common mobile concept any longer, but if someone buys them directly, then Apple takes a 30% cut off the top. Now that 30% cut matches up with what we are familiar with at Steam or at the PlayStation Network or on Xbox Live. That has become the standard over the past decade or so, but a number of these companies are fighting against it. Most specifically, the applications that have a big built-in audience and otherwise want to avoid paying Apple this 30% fee. So I've pulled up an article from TechCrunch that says YouTube TV fights back against Apple's cut of in-app subscription revenue. This week, YouTube emailed customers subscribed to its YouTube TV service by way of Apple's in-app purchases to let them know that this subscription offering will be discontinued starting on March 13, 2020. Current subscribers will have their subscription canceled automatically on their billing date after March 13, the letter said. Now, as this article continues, that's pretty significant. Other services that we're going to read about have essentially allowed people to be grandfathered in, to have new applications, new subscriptions to their service, not go through the iOS system, not pay Apple their 30% cut, but to have people that were already signed up through that process just continue on that path. Google is saying something different. Google and YouTube here are saying, hey, if you're a current subscriber, if you pay through your Apple App Store in-app purchases concept that gets Apple 30% of that money, you are no longer going to be permitted to do that on this date certain, March 13th, 2020. As this article says, this is a pretty severe way for Google to end its subscription revenue sharing with Apple. Most companies that decide to shut off their in-app subscriptions still continue to honor those from existing subscribers, as we just said. In YouTube's case, it's actually ending its relationship with all of its customers on Apple devices. That's quite a risk. Given that YouTube TV is not the only streaming TV service out there and customers getting their subscription canceled may take this opportunity to shop around. Now, in my view, and this is just my opinion, I don't know that it's as big of a risk as is kind of described here. One of the kind of precepts of business is that it costs a lot more, it takes a lot more effort to bring in a new customer than to retain an existing customer. And so often what you see in respect of these services is that kind of grandfathering. Other times when they have done something that might offend people, they work with their existing customers to make it right for them, even if it wouldn't be right for a new person coming in the door. You saw this all the time with essentially cable subscriptions, right, that would lower their prices if you threatened to leave and all these various things that people kind of grew wise to. But this is an unusual circumstance. Google and YouTube TV want absolutely no part of Apple's cut of these funds. And so they are cutting it off directly and they don't care that a number of people are essentially now going to have to take an active step rather than a passive allowance for getting signed back up to YouTube TV so that they can use it on their Apple iOS devices. This is described in this TechCrunch article as a risk. However, I think in this specific space, digital streaming, TV streaming, whether you're on Hulu Live or YouTube TV or Sling or something else, I don't know that it is that big of a risk because I think, in general, people are aware that these 
service providers now essentially allow you to opt out whenever you like. And it's that ease of use that essentially got a lot of people to cut the cord away from cable where it was so difficult to cancel those subscriptions. Those companies made it very difficult for you. One of the attractions to the Hulu lives and the YouTube TVs and the Sling TVs and, and everyone else is that you can click a button and say, hey, I'm going away for a while. Uh, in fact, a number of these services essentially have a pause button that says, I'm not going to use it for three months. You can turn it back on in three months. Again, we're talking about that kind of ease of use, trying to make sure that retained customers stay retained, even if they don't want to pay for the service right now. You have that kind of passive vacation from the service that's allowed on a number of these things, but most everybody allows you to just kind of turn the thing off. I have turned Netflix on and off over the past year. I think we've probably subscribed for maybe three months over the last 12 when something is interesting that comes out, when my daughter wants to see something that's only available on Netflix, whatever it might be, we turn it on for a month. Generally speaking, I then immediately turn it off so that it will cut off on the month anniversary of what I just paid for. But I do that regularly. And I do that also with Hulu and some other services that I am a member of. So I don't know that it's that big of a risk, but it certainly is a shot across the bow at Apple's practices and what they are doing. Worth mentioning in this conversation, of course, is that Google runs the Android platform, right? Android is a little bit more open. It's not the same kind of walled garden that Apple is, but Google is invested in the sales of Android, has the Google Play Store available on those Android devices. So this is essentially a fight between juggernauts. And if you're familiar with virtual legality and our work on talking about the video game industry, it's worth noting how these tech giants are a little bit distinct from what we generally talk about with how video game companies have operated in the past, but also in respect of this new generation of consoles, right? We are currently seeing Microsoft put Xbox games on the PC, on the Switch, and it wouldn't surprise me to see those video game companies start to commingle a little bit more. You see that with Netflix and Google and all these various places, putting their stuff wherever it makes sense, even if they have to pay a certain amount of money to these services, although you see Google cutting it off right now, because getting access to that user base is so important to them. Now, YouTube TV can be accessed through a web browser, which is what they are telling people to do, and avoid getting Apple that 30% cut for doing very little in terms of servicing their product. Continuing with this article, it says, the timing is also poorly thought out, given that YouTube TV just picked up new subs following Sony PlayStation's View shutdown, and now it's kicking them out. The move makes Google the latest company to rebel against Apple's 30% cut of all in-app payments, which drops to 15% in year two. Now, we covered this in virtual legality before, but Apple is struggling with this kind of passive subscription notion because these big media juggernauts in particular essentially are saying, Apple, what are you doing to earn this money? If I sell a product and you provided that marketplace and I'm essentially buying a, a retail location in your mall or a stall in your flea market, then yes, you deserve a cut for making it public, for making this available, for doing your server infrastructure, whatever it is. I think we can all understand that. But when we're talking about an in-app subscription that is completely organized on my end, through my servers, through my service, you know, what are you actually doing for that 30% cut? And Apple responded to this by saying, okay, we're going to lower that as the years go on. We're going to take our 30% up front, but then that's going to drop in year two and onward so that you don't have to worry about it as much. But clearly, these companies don't see that as enough of a kind of olive branch to the services that they are providing. They don't see a reason to give Apple any money. And that's something that Apple has been fighting with now for a year or two. 
A growing number of app publishers are refusing to share this cut of their revenue with Apple, even saying that Apple's decision to charge this fee is anti-competitive. Now, that's another video we covered in virtual legality, but there's an ongoing legal argument that Apple needs to provide essentially an open marketplace on their own devices to whoever wants to come in, and that by charging this 30%, they aren't competing with anyone for what amounts to space on the Apple App Store or in the iOS ecosystem, and because of that, they are a monopolist in Apple space. Now, if you can tell from the language I'm using here, if you can tell from kind of the tone I've taken, I don't give that argument a lot of credence. I think for the most part, we want to incentivize technology developers to be able to make a certain amount of money for the technology they create. And in this networked environment, it makes sense for Apple to be able to control the gateway to what is sold on their marketplace. If they want it to be 30%, it's 30%. And if another provider of technology services wants to come in and say offer, oh, I don't know, a 12% cut instead of a 30% cut, you might see advantages there. And of course, that 1288 reference is to the Epic Game Store, which is currently embroiled in a battle against the industry video game selling stalwart Valve's Steam platform to try to move them down from 30% by offering a 12% split, and even less if you wind up using Epic's uh, licensed engine, Unreal, to make your video game. So you do have an environment here where competitors can come in and can offer a better rate if they want to, and hopefully kind of wean app developers away that no one has chosen to is somewhat of an open question, but I don't think that automatically makes Apple a monopolist in digital games or software sales. And if you frame the market as only iOS ecosystem or Apple devices, that, in my opinion, is framing it unfairly. And I you know, don't necessarily side with the tech giants on a lot of these things, but I look at this and say, yeah, Apple might be a quote-unquote monopolist of Apple space, just like Microsoft is of Xbox Live, just like Sony is of PlayStation Network, just like Epic is of the Epic Game Store. If you make them monopolists and every number they set as anti-competitive, that becomes a significant problem. So I don't think that's a winning argument, but it is one that people are making. This TechCrunch article then goes on to talk about more of the folks that are fighting against Apple. Spotify is going to war with Apple, filing an antitrust complaint over fears that it is crushing competitors. As we just talked about, this article is from March of last year, but Spotify brought a claim in the EU. And as we've talked about in virtual legality, the European Union and the European economic area tends to be a little bit more understanding of these antitrust and anti-competition complaints. And so Spotify brought this claim against Apple to have the European Union look at this and to see whether the Apple App Store should have to do something about its 30%, as described here, tax, which Apple levies. Although I do think, certainly, as I said before, we all have an understanding of a store and a storefront that makes itself available and takes a cut of those the, the, the money that is sold through its services. So I don't know that that's a winning argument, but it is an argument that's being made, and Apple is getting these beatings from all of these giants, right? Netflix stops paying the Apple tax on its $853 million in annual iOS revenue from December 31st, 2018. Earlier this year, Netflix was seen testing a bypass of iTunes billing. As 2018 draws to a close, Netflix, the App Store's top-grossing app, has ditched the ability for new users to sign up and subscribe to the streaming service. So this has been ongoing. This has been an ongoing discussion. Netflix was in 2018. Spotify was in 2019. Now we have YouTube TV in 2020. 
and it's going to be a continuing issue for everyone. And we've got now the source article that I brought up here, the Mac Rumors article that was referenced in that TechCrunch article that talks about the email that YouTube has actually sent out. You are currently subscribed to YouTube TV through Apple in-app purchases. So we're writing to let you know that starting on March 13th, 2020, YouTube TV will no longer accept payment through Apple in-app purchases. YouTube TV members will still be able to watch YouTube TV content on Apple devices. You can still get to it, but you'll be billed for one final month and then your service will be canceled automatically. As this article then says, there's no word on why that's happening, but obviously Apple taking a 30% cut is what everybody feels is driving this kind of argument. So we've got this email out in the wild. We've got this happening right now. And in the context of that, we also have this other concept about YouTube and YouTube TV and YouTube as a service and exactly what is going to happen with respect to the mobile kind of market for all of these streaming services because you've got Apple, yes, you've got Google Play Store, yes, and you've got YouTube now that is clearly one of the most watched kind of services. Now this isn't YouTube TV. YouTube TV is somewhat separate, but YouTube on its own is probably going to continue to monetize itself, right? We saw a couple days ago that they are trying to introduce Twitch features into the YouTube service that's gonna allow people to essentially watch a video and hit a button and make a tip to the, to the user or to the content creator of that, uh, of that YouTube video. I think they're calling it clapping. And so YouTube's going to continue to monetize these things, continue to micro-monetize them, to get people to donate, to take YouTube's cut of that money. Now, interestingly enough, right, you've got Google out there saying Apple doesn't deserve its cut because it's a monopolist of Apple services and Apple spacing. And you've got Spotify suing them or bringing a claim or a charge in the European Union about that monopolist behavior, that anti-competitive behavior. But in the same vein, YouTube takes a cut of the advertising money that it sells, that it puts on its videos. YouTube will take a cut of those claps. YouTube takes a cut of its super chats. And I don't know that the argument that one could make against the Apples of the world or maybe even the Google Plays of the world doesn't apply in a situation like this, where you're talking about YouTube monetizing its own service and it being, what, a monopolist in YouTube space, in YouTube services, in people that visit YouTube content. And so content creators should get a better than a 70% cut or whatever the cut actually is between what YouTube monetizes and what it actually pays people. I will tell you this, as a now YouTube lawyer for more than a year, a little bit more than 13 months at this point, we don't get a great deal of insight as to what the going rate for the advertisement was, what YouTube took out of that, what money YouTube made as a result. Uh, and what money it passed on to you. It's all kind of a black box. And so that's fine for me. I don't really do this for the money, although you know it's nice, certainly, and I don't mind it. And I'm very happy to have all of you watching Virtual Legality tell your friends I think it's great. Mostly I like to have my videos monetized because it's clear, and this makes sense from a business perspective, that YouTube likes to sell up into the stream those videos that are monetized and that it thinks it will make the most money on. And so, as a business lawyer, I look at that and say, hey, that's, that's pretty good. We want our incentives to be aligned, and YouTube is aligned in incentives when it thinks it can make money on your video. That being said, it's got a lot of automated systems. It's got a lot of issues with things that talk about current news items and, and issues that might otherwise be controversial, such as those appearing in virtual legality, and it has a tendency to demonetize those videos for no reason that it ever explains. And that becomes an issue for a place like 
virtual legality for a place like the Hogue Law YouTube channel, primarily because we can't get those videos out there. We can't hopefully inform and educate and have these wonderful conversations with people if the YouTube internal algorithm doesn't want to send them up the chain. So this becomes an overall kind of ecosystem discussion. You've got YouTube TV, you've got Spotify, you've got Netflix cutting off Apple. You've got YouTube proper now, which is very clearly one of the most watched apps in the world on people's phones. This is a Verge article from only a couple days ago. It says YouTube is the front runner in the mobile streaming wars, and it's not even close. Here's a fun number to think about. In 2019, YouTube dominated 70% of the total time people spent on their phones watching the top five entertainment apps. It's also the only one of those apps measured among Android phones, which I want to take a pause there because this is a measurement report done through Android phones, primarily because they're an open source system. And this particular uh, website, App Annie, can get the best information out of those particular phones. It does mean that because of Google's relationship with Android, it's unclear whether this is a totally unbiased report of what people are actually watching on all of their mobile devices. It's almost impossible to get that data, so we work with what we've got. But it is worth noting when we see those things. This is only on Android phones. It doesn't take iOS into account at all. And obviously, iOS is a big portion of the marketplace. The data from App Annie's latest report shows just how far ahead YouTube is on the mobile front, where more people are spending their time, especially teenagers and young adults. You know, those teenagers and young adults who love a little bit of legal information on their YouTube. It's something that companies like Netflix, WarnerMedia, NBC Universal, and Disney will have to take into account as they compete not only for the best content, but for people's attention. With YouTube dominating 70% of time spent in the top five streaming apps, the platform proves that it is still holding its weight among the acceleration of new video streaming platforms, particularly as it was an early pioneer in the market, App Annie mobile analyst Lexi Sidow wrote in a new report. Now, Verge goes on to say, hey, Netflix is a pay service. It's a little bit closer to HBO than YouTube amounts to a free broadcast system. And so we can't really compare these things. They're apples to oranges. But they also quote Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, saying, hey, we do wonder in the fullness of time, along the, along the long term, can we big as, be as big as YouTube? YouTube is seven times larger than us, roughly, in viewing hours and a phenomenal service. Of course, it's free. So the real question is, can we produce enough content that people are willing to pay for? In other words, the question for somebody like Netflix is not, can we have as much viewers, can we have as much time spent in our app as somebody like YouTube? Free is always going to win that battle. But can we make as much money? Can our business model be as lucrative as YouTube selling ad space on various content that is created like by folks like me? Time spent on YouTube and frequent visits to the site greatly outweighed time spent on other popular streaming mobile apps, most notably Netflix, according to an MIT report from 2019. That 2019 report from networking equipment firm Sandvine also stated that YouTube makes up 37% of all downstream mobile internet traffic around the world. Think about that. People are using the internet primarily to watch uh, you know, I'd love to say virtual legality, but, you know, cat videos, people making grilled cheese in various devices and things of the, along those lines. It's, it's really interesting, right, to think about how much leisure is important to us as part of the human experience. Yeah, people are learning things from YouTube very often, but I'll be honest with you, a lot of the YouTube that I watch tends to be folks talking about movies and pop culture and analyzing those things in a way that, yes, can be illuminating and educational and enjoyable but not what I would consider, generally speaking, outside of the realm of leisure. So leisure continues to be an important part of what humanity experiences together, and YouTube seems to be a big part of that. 
While Netflix saw growth around the world and often dominated app downloads within the entertainment space, people were still spending less time on those services on their phone. They were, however, increasing the amount of time they spent on their phones for apps like TikTok and YouTube. And again, I think we can take a step back there in, in terms of discussing that and say, hey, yeah, of course they are. Because for the most part, if you're on your phone, it's not the ideal viewing environment. You're going to watch Netflix and 4K and Endgame or whatever on whatever kind of 5.1 surround sound system you might be able to put together. It's a little bit less fun, a little bit less enjoyable if you're holding up your iPhone or your Android and trying to watch all the pretty pictures that the visual effects artist spent a year making. So it makes sense to me that mobile likes this kind of stuff better. Virtual legality, we've gotten better at producing things over the last year or 13 months, but it's not a visual splendor type thing. It's not something that you'd show off to people to show exactly how cool uh, Rick has made the various graphics and virtual legality. That's a distinction from the actual media that's created by Hollywood and from other countries that actually puts in all that money and time into making visuals part of the sales package. So that doesn't surprise me, but it is worth noting that even among those kind of smaller scale, shorter uh, kind of items that are very popular in mobile, YouTube has this huge first mover advantage. So when YouTube takes a step, only with YouTube TV, yes, so far, but when they take a step to move away from in-app purchases, to tell Apple they're not happy with their 30%, that they might be the next of the tech giants to make an issue for the Apples of the world, it is worth noting because Google and YouTube are much, much bigger than I think I had thought before they started releasing their profitability, their billions and billions of dollars that they're making through this service, how much people enjoy YouTube content and services on their mobile devices. It is worth noting, and Apple certainly has to be the one to note it as well. Not just YouTube, however, and I'll leave the rest of this article for you to read. It's very well done. It's from The Verge. I highly recommend checking it out. I will link it in the description of the video as I do. But it's not just the tech giants that are coming after YouTube, right, or coming after Apple. As I said earlier in the video, Epic has been rattling its saber against all of these people for a long time, for all these tech giants. And you see here the headline from The Hollywood Reporter. This is actually an article that we looked at last week in respect of politics. Thankfully, we're not going to talk about any politics or any of Tim Sweeney or Epic's political stances in this video. If you want to leave comments disparaging my political beliefs, whatever they might be, please do it in the other video that we did talking about this. We won't have any of that conversation in the comments to this video, I wouldn't think. But Tim Sweeney took special kind of moments out of his speech at the Dice Summit last week to say, hey, turning to the bad and the ugly aspects of the industry, Sweeney pointed to the customer adversarial model. We have businesses that profit by doing their customers harm. Facebook and Google have been the leaders in this. They provide free services, then make you pay for their service in the loss of privacy and loss of freedom. So he sets the ground. Facebook and Google are not doing right by their customers by essentially stealing their data even though they say their services are provided for free. So Facebook and Google are evil. You should think of them negatively. They are customer adversarial. But then as the owner and runner of the Epic Game Store that is advocating for this 12% split over the 88% split, says stressing the need for mobile platforms to open up for publishers to freely put their products on their marketplace, Sweeney said his company had tested the current system by submitting Fortnite to the Google Play Store. Fortnite was rejected just because it used a different payment method than was supported. He said that needs to change and it will change. I don't know that it will change in the method that Tim Sweeney advocates here, but it's worth noting how many individuals, how many companies, how many entities are interested in seeing 
the Google and Apple and Steam 30% cuts, including the PlayStation Network and Xbox Live, and one presumes the Nintendo eShop. If you've got information on that, please leave it in a comment to this video. I'm not entirely sure what Nintendo's split is of that, but it would surprise me if it's not 70-30. That there are these content creators, the Netflixes of the world, the YouTube TVs of the world, the Epic Gameses of the world, that want to come in and say, hey, you don't deserve this money. We should be allowed to put it up freely on your platform. And they are fighting a legal fight Right, This series is called Virtual Legality. They are looking at FTC complaints. They are looking at Department of Justice complaints. Spotify has already brought up a claim in the European Union and in the European economic area. And so when you talk about these things, yeah, this is fun to talk about. This is interesting to think about. YouTube TV now pulling out. That's almost all the main media players pulling out of the Apple service. It's worth noting, not just because it's interesting to talk about, but because this represents a potential sea change for how these technology companies operate, particularly with how they sell software through hardware. And whether any of these governments in the world, whether that's the United States, whether that's the European Union or elsewhere, are going to start enforcing something like an anti-competitive Sherman Act Department of Justice violation on the apples of the world to say, you need to open this up. Now, personally, and this is just my personal opinion, I don't think that's warranted because I think competitors are always an option, and I think these content creators are in some ways trying to have their cake and eat it too. Particularly in respect of Google and YouTube, obviously they control the Google Play Store. YouTube takes its cut of the money of content creators that are making content for the YouTube platform. I don't really think they have the strongest leg to stand on when they talk about those things. Similarly, Spotify and Netflix are regularly engaged in licenses with their own content creators, and they are a monopolist provider of access to the Netflix service and the Spotify service. So I think the logic of this all falls apart at a very fundamental level. But it is something that people are talking about daily. It is something that comes up in my media feeds all the time. And so I wanted to make this video to talk about it with you. I wanted to do a video about YouTube, about the tech giants, because I hadn't done one in a while. And if you like this video, please like, please subscribe to the channel. We talk about these kinds of things in virtual legality all the time. As I said, we've talked a little bit about video games for the past week. That's one of our kind of bread and butter topics. We like to talk about the law and business through pop culture things that matter to people. And in particular, movies, video games, TV, and that kind of thing. Otherwise, if you caught this video on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. I very much appreciate it. Please share it around, put it on your favorite forums or Reddit threads or wherever you might find them. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.